Well, I invite you this morning, if you would, to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Philippians. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible handy there in your living room, you can certainly follow along. Uh, with the screen in front of you. Last week we began, those of you who are here, uh, we began a mini-series, a mini-series that I have entitled Matters of the Heart. And the reason for this little interlude between book studies, which is what we normally do and indeed what we will return to shortly, the reason for this is that I wanted us to be challenged and encouraged by the scriptures in this unique season that we all find ourselves in. In this unique season and in the unique ways that our hearts are being stretched. And so we began last week with Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, that uh, incised insightful and incisive uh, sermon where Jesus, uh, Jesus' words caused us to think about worry and anxiety. Well, this morning we turn to a close cousin of worry, we might say. It's, it's another heart response that, that really comes from a lack of control that we have over our circumstances. And that's just part of our humanity, part of our creaturehood, is that we're not in control, as we were reminded last week. And so we might say anxiety, what we looked at last week, anxiety primarily arises out of fear. When things aren't going well around us. But what about when, when we're not afraid of what's not going on around us? We're just frustrated. Well, then where do our hearts go? That's what I want to look at this morning. Now, before I read our text today, I... I uh, Recognize that we're kind of jumping in the middle of Paul's train of thought. We're jumping in the middle of a letter that he wrote to the ancient church at Philippi. And uh, we're kind of at the end of the letter uh, where he, he's getting personal. He's getting personal about his own life and he's getting personal about the lives of others. And so there's a lot of, of personal things here. And yet there are uh, some wonderful, timeless uh, truth for us uh, to think about and to meditate on for a few moments. And so listen as I read Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to start at verse 10, and, uh, and then eventually we'll jump down uh, to verse 19 and 20. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have received your, cons- your you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am, to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then jumping down to verses 19 and 20. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. 
Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, I want to begin this morning uh, with a question. It's a question I know the answer to, but that's what pastors like to do. They ask questions that are rhetorical so we can get the answer we want. My question is, have you been frustrated with anything this year? Has anything frustrated you about your life, about your circumstances, about what's going on around you? Of course, you're smiling, you're laughing because of course you have. That missed vacation, those summer plans that have gone out the window, students, kids, having to do school online, some of you, the inability to see family and friends like you want, being stuck in your house for weeks, for months, finally getting outside only to then be stuck in your house again last week because of the smoke. Or taking it up a notch. Maybe you've been frustrated at a work situation that's been intolerable. Maybe you've been frustrated because you can't find a job at all. Maybe you've just been frustrated at the general trajectory of your life. I know I've been frustrated. I have profoundly struggled at times, even as recently this morning. This crew can tell you my frustration at having to cancel our outdoor service, looking forward to being together, looking forward to breaking bread together, and then I wake up and there's rain. I'm pretty sure that I need this sermon more than any of you. So just listen in as I preach to myself. Frustration breeds discontentment. Now maybe you're thinking contentment, right? That's the key word that we find in in Paul's letter here in this passage I just read to you. And and you say, contentment? Really, Nate, with, with all that's going on in the world, you want to preach on contentment? Is that really that big of a deal? And my response to you is, actually it is. In my opinion, it is. Because our contentment or our lack of contentment reveals not only how we view the world that we're living in, but more importantly, it reveals the God that we serve, the God that we've come to worship this morning. And like last week, for those of you who listened or were here last week, contentment, a life of contentment, is what the Father wants for you. Life in Christ, life quorum Deo before the face of God, that kind of life is is freedom, is delight. And so last week he wanted you to be free from your fears and not be anxious. And this week he wants you to be free from your frustration and be content. Because brothers and sisters, we have the power to delight in our circumstances no matter what they are. COVID, stay-at-home mandates, masks, political frustration, rain on a Lord's Day morning when we should be outside, it doesn't matter. 
Three things for us to consider this morning for a few minutes. And the first one is this. We are all called to contentment. We are all called to contentment. See, contentment is not reserved for just Paul here. It's not reserved for the spiritually elite. It's for us, the people of God. But I suppose we should begin by defining what contentment is. Here's a helpful definition by uh, the old, now dead, Puritan Jeremiah Burroughs. He writes this, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. Let let me read that again. It's good. Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. I read that, and I hope you read that, and you say, I want that. In the midst of my disappointments, in the midst of my frustrations, I want that. And that's what Paul had. That's what Paul expresses here. And that's what we are called to this morning. If we were to think about it negatively, to understand what we ought to avoid, discontentment put much less eloquently than Jeremiah does, we would say discontentment then is unhappiness with present circumstances that results in grumbling, complaining, and even anger. Now we know, reading the scriptures, we know that God's people have had some experience with this, right? Yahweh led them out of the land of Egypt, out of the bondage of slavery. And he did it in a miraculous fashion. He parted the Red Sea. He fed them manna from heaven. He revealed himself by a pillar of fire. And yet they're in the wilderness. And the journey is difficult. No doubt it's difficult. And we read in Numbers 11, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outlying parts of the camp. We read that and we say, whoa, whoa. Not only did God's people struggle with this, but the Lord certainly seems to have an opinion on how he views their grumbling and their complaining. You see, if we have a robust view of God's sovereignty and God's providence in all things, which we ought to have, particularly after studying the book of Esther and being reminded of all the ways that God providentially ordered the salvation of his people, then all of our lives, misfortunes, successes, whatever, those things that we think are misfortunes but end up not being misfortunes, they are all from the hand of our heavenly Father. And so to complain about them, as we were reminded last week, to fear what's going on is an affront to God. It's an affront to God. It's, it's, it's sin that falls partially in line with the 10th commandment, we might say. 
The 10th commandment, do not covet. Right? To not covet is to be content, which is why the book of Hebrews instructs in chapter 13, 15, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. It's why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we cannot take anything out of the world. My point is that we are all called to contentment. And and it has to do with more than just our stuff. It has to do with our circumstances. We're called to contentment. And discontentment is disobedience. Now before we move on, hear this. Contentment does not equal passivity. That's not what Paul is saying. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what God's word says. Contentment is not simply a resignation that, well, things are just going to be that way. Right? We ought to be discontent about some things in our lives. There is a, a godly discontentment. We ought to be discontent about the life of sin and the struggle with sin that we continue to wage. We ought to be discontent about injustices that we see in the world. We ought to be active and prayerful and concerned about those things. So contentment is not passivity. But when we've done all that we can do and things don't change, or our candidate doesn't win, or our way isn't agreed upon, then, brothers and sisters, we've got to strive for a state of acceptance to God's purposes to glorify himself. So how do we grow in this? How do we get to the point where we can express the kind of thing that Paul expresses here? Well, the first thing that I think we need to recognize and remember on this path to contentment is that contentment is not tied to our circumstances. Paul says regardless of the situation, plenty and hunger, abundance and need, In any circumstance, he can be content. And so contentment is a matter of the heart. Contentment is a matter of the heart. And it's interesting here in Philippians chapter 4 in in verse 11 that Paul uses a word in verse 11 that is a a very current word in his day when he writes. It was a term that was used... In Greek philosophy, this word for contentment, uh, or, or just content as it's translated, it was a term used in Greek philosophy to, ne- to denote self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency. In Greek culture, self-sufficiency was a trait not only that was much desired, but it was kind of the highest form of achievement where you would be released 
from the needs of those around you. And Paul takes this word, this common word in, in the Greek vernacular, and he, and he infuses it with Christian meaning. You see, in the context here, he's saying that in contrast to the world's contentment of inner peace or indifference through self-sufficiency, true contentment is rising above our circumstances, rising above by casting ourselves on the power of God. It's not self-sufficiency contentment is, it's actually dependence It's that vital union with with Jesus Christ, that, that intimate fellowship with him that changes not your circumstances, but your hearts. I have learned in whatever situation, I am to be content, not self sufficient but dependent. But does Paul really think that this can be done? I mean, is this, I say this is for the people of God, for the average Christian, but can we really do this? Maybe you're sitting there thinking, oh, it's easy for Paul to say. He hasn't experienced the challenges I have, the frustrations that I've faced. Well, no doubt, Paul's Challenges and frustrations were different than ours. But let's look at what Paul's been through. He says here in Philippians 4, I know how to be brought low. If that isn't the understatement of the century. Here's a man who pens these words. He wrote this letter from a prison cell. Acts 14 recounts him being stoned. Acts 16 recounts him being beaten with rods. And then there is 2 Corinthians 11, 24 and following where he, re- where he goes on to, ex- to, to explain some of the things he's experienced. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, Danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and in exposure. Yeah, (laughs) if Paul had a reason for discontentment, boy, our experience doesn't even compare. But Paul was able to rise above his circumstances with a renewed heart. And it's because Paul has found the secret. I love that he drops that word in verse 12. I have learned the secret. Ah, we all want the secret. Man, if you put secret in a book title these days, that's good. Because we want to know the secret And that leads us to the second thing I want us to focus on for a moment. Not just that we are called to contentment, but what's the secret? Contentment is found only in and through Jesus. Contentment is found only in and through Jesus. 
Just like we looked at last week, the world will throw all that it can at this common human ailment, this common human longing of our hearts, but it will never be enough. I Googled some this week, how to find contentment, uh, just to get a good sampling of what the world says. And there's some good common grace advice out there. Practice gratitude. Break the buying habit. Stop comparing yourselves with others. Good things. But true contentment, the kind that weathers the kind of storms that Paul was enabled to weather, is found only in embracing and following the person of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, you have the power to be content. No matter what. Because of who Jesus is. Because of what he's done for you. And who he is presently for you. And so if you're listening this morning and you have never repented of your sin, you have never bowed the knee and, and turned in faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, he is the only one who can bring you back to God. He is the only one who can bring you to the place of life that you were called to live in. A life of contentment. And that's where you must begin. And for those of you who know and love him and have for years, the scriptures call you back to his presence and to his power. In one of the most misused misused verses in all of scripture, Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. If you've been in the church for any length of time, you've seen that. If you've been into a Christian bookstore at any point, you've seen it plastered on everything from pencils to bouncy balls to pictures. But Paul isn't talking about winning a football game or some arbitrary feat that you might desire. He is talking about the vital union that you need to have with Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Because of the gospel, you are in Christ. And because you are united with Christ, you have the perspective, the childlike trust, the heart to not just endure, but to rejoice in circumstances outside of your control. You know, when Paul says in verse 12 of our passage that he has been brought low, It's the same verb that he used just a couple chapters earlier in this letter. In chapter 2, verse 8, where he speaks of Jesus. And he says, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. He brought himself low by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so Paul reminds us that whatever you're going through, You are not alone. Jesus knows your circumstances. He has known worse circumstances. He was abandoned by God on the cross. And yet he is with you by his spirit. John 15, 9 says, As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, So I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken 
that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Contentment comes only in and through Jesus. Well, one more thing for us to look at for a few moments. Our third truth is this. Contentment must be learned. We're called to contentment. Contentment can only be found in and through Jesus and through the gospel of grace. But finally, contentment must be learned. This goes against our grain. We, we want a pill. We want an equation. We want one magic bullet that will fix it all now. And Paul says that there isn't a magic bullet, that he himself has had to learn contentment. It's been a process. There's not a, a switch to be flipped. There's a journey to begin, a seed to be planted that fruit might be born. Paul said to the Roman church in Romans 8, 5, those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. And that's what we strive for. That's what we pray for, that we would live by the spirit and not by the flesh. And yet, Just one chapter earlier in Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this war that's waging. That which I want to do, I I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I end up doing that. And that's our lives. It's this constant war between the spirit and the flesh. So we must learn contentment. We must grow in contentment. And you listening this morning, being here is part of that growth. It's part of that growing. And so as we close, let me give just a a few practical things about learning contentment, about growing in contentment. And as I said earlier, believe me, I'm preaching these to myself first First, run to the promises. As you learn contentment, as you are growing in contentment, run to the promises. Jeremiah Burroughs, again, writes a great little book on contentment. I've quoted it a couple times. Let me do so one more time. Jeremiah Burroughs says, There is no condition that a godly man or woman can be in where there is not a promise in Scripture to help him or her in that condition. And that is the way of his or her contentment, to go to the promises and get from the promises that which may supply. And so as we looked at last week, The promise that God is your Father. Our passage from today, Philippians 4, 19, that verse I ended with, God will supply every need of yours according to his glories, according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. 
Romans 8, 28, God works all things for the good of those who love him and those who are called according to his purpose. Run to the promises. Run to what his word says and and cling to it and get from it. Keep perspective. Keep perspective because how easy it is for us to get fixated on, on what others have that we don't. So while the common grace advice that I googled that says stop comparing yourselves with others, that's, that's a good thing. We ought not compare ourselves with others, but we, we ought to keep others in mind at times as we remember and give thanks for what we have been given. Right, I'm thinking about the coming discontentment. that some of us are going to feel when one candidate gets elected and the other doesn't. I'm thinking about the fact that some of us have really chafed at the actions of those in authority over us, whether at the local level, whether at the national level. But praise God that we, we don't serve a Nero. We don't serve a Stalin. We don't serve a Hitler. And so in that sense, keeping our perspective is a help, help, helpful thing, is a healthy thing on the path of contentment. Beyond that, we need to recognize that the things that we cling to for our identity, for our joy, for our delight, for our salvation, we need to unmask them and let them fade away in the shadow of the cross. And this is just preaching the gospel to ourselves. God has given me more than I deserve. Thanks be to you. As we began singing that song, 10,000 Reasons, thanks be to God when the sun is shining And when the rain is falling, Thomas Watson, another Puritan says this, our base hearts are more discontented at one loss than thankful at a hundred mercies. God has plucked one branch of grapes from you, but how many precious clusters are left behind? So as you run to the promises, keep perspective. He has given you so much, your righteousness, your life, your breath, your daily bread, the hope of glory. Remember these things. The prophet Habakkuk was given this perspective in Habakkuk 3, 17 and 18. He says, though the fig tree should not blossom nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the beasts of the field yield no food. The flock shall be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So as you learn contentment, as we learn contentment, we've got to run to the promises. But secondly, we've got to run from the lies. 
And let me give you just a few practical lies that we often believe in our frustration, in our grumbling, in our complaining, in our discontentment. First of all, we believe the lie, which is really from the garden, that God is withholding from me. But the truth is, he's not. He's giving you exactly what you need, exactly what brings him glory. You may not understand it, but he knows it. So don't believe the lie that God is withholding from you. God is for you. He wants you to experience life and freedom. Run from that lie. Number two is the lie, and I struggle with this at times, the hard attitude of the older brother that cries that God owes me. God, I've been faithful. I don't deserve what's coming my way. Haven't you seen what I have done for you? Haven't I built up enough points? We got to run from that lie and we got to be careful, reminds the book of Job. What we as the clay say to the potter who formed us. And then final lie that we've got to run from is, I know what's best for me. I know what's best for me. And the fact of the matter is, no, you don't. You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. You don't know what's best for you. And so the lies that God is withholding from you, that God owes you, or that you know what's best for you, run from those lies and run to the promises. Brothers and sisters, big news here, life is full of disappointments. Some of them we we can avoid, Some of them we ought to remedy, but some of them we just simply can't. But we have the freedom, we have the invitation, we have the power to delight no matter what. There's a greeting card with a simple prayer in it, one that's appropriate, I think, for for closing this portion of God's word and for what we strive for today, it's simply this, four lines. Lord, I am willing to receive what you give, lack what you withhold, relinquish what you take. May God give us the grace, amen, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Paul's words here and the experience of his life that set up these words and we confess our grumbling and complaining hearts. Father, we confess that we can so easily get spun up in regret and in frustration, even spun up to the point of anger at what's going on around us. Father, I pray that as you continue to renew our minds and transform our minds into Christ's likeness, that you would work on us in this. That we would see that that contentment is what we are called to, 
It's a goal that we ought to strive for. And one that we ought to do so as we look to Christ, as we trust in Christ, as we lean on Christ. And it's one that we ought to be patient with ourselves as we intentionally take steps to grow and to learn what this looks like. Father, in the midst of, in the midst of our lives, you don't want us to be a people who are constantly tossed to and fro by the waves of our circumstances and by the waves of our disappointment. You call us to something better. You call us to not worry. You call us to be content. You call us even to joy. And oh God, we recognize that we can't do those things in and of ourselves. And so give us the grace. Give us your spirit, we ask, that we might be changed for the glory of your name. In Jesus' name, amen.